friends, you've now entered the Man Cave Podcast, unplugged and unfiltered. This is a podcast where the topics are mostly about sports, but sometimes we mix in some other items, like, is Bigfoot real? Who is the best Batman? You're guided through each episode by a man who's the man for his time and place, Dan Casper. So welcome to the Man Cave, and stick around for a while. You're going to like it here. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Man Cave Podcast, brought to you by our good friends from Hy-Vee and Toyson Ford. Hopefully you all had a fantastic weekend, and it is NFL Draft Week. The draft is just days away from beginning here, so we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the draft, and maybe just maybe we're getting closer to an Aaron Rodgers and Jets trade this week. We'll hit that up. Uh, plus, we're going to talk a little Milwaukee Brewers. Brewers dropping their series against the Boston Red Sox. But we begin this. Uh, plus, uh, we're going to talk some Bucks. We're going to talk some Bucks too. Just how worried are you, Bucks fans, uh, about the current state of your team? Down two one, pivotal game four Monday night. So how worried about uh, how worried about the Bucks are you? We're going to hit that hit that up first. But first, you know how we begin the podcast. We got to do a little bit of an icebreaker here. So let's uh, let's get to it. By the way, I think we're just going to call the opener, or I guess the the icebreaker. I guess we're just gonna maybe just call it the opener, unless somebody can give me a, a better name for this. But anyways, here's uh, your icebreaker, the opener question to begin the podcast: Which celebrity would I most want to be friends with? Um, which celebrity would I most want to be friends with? I feel like uh, this is going to depend on the day you ask me. And I feel like there's going to be different answers every single day that you ask me. But I think right now, I think my pick it would not be somebody in the sports world. Um, so I think I might go Matthew McConaughey. I just wish I had that mindset that, you know, all right, all right, all right, kind of mindset, attitude sort of thing. I think I might be Matthew McConaughey. I think that's who, you know, hang out with him, have a little, have a little wild turkey bourbon, you know. That sort of thing. So I might pick that. I might pick him as as my celebrity. All right. Who do you want? You want to play along? You can hit me up too with uh, Twitter or Facebook on there. But uh, let's talk some. Let's talk some hoops. Let's talk some Milwaukee Bucks. Bucks fans, how concerned are you right now with uh, with the state of your team? On a scale of one to ten, with uh, ten being the uh, ten being the biggest uh, concern, like. Freaking out, man. They're done. They're not going to get this. They're not going to come back. 2-1. Giannis is banged up. No way. Or 1, be like, dude, chill. Relax, R-E-L-A-X. We're okay yet. Let's see how tonight's pivotal game four kind of plays out there. Uh, I'll tell you right now, I might as well just go into this. But uh, my Monday morning quarterback... So, you know, you're like second guessing or you're like, dude, what, what, what's that? Or what, what, what's that all about? I wouldn't have done it that way. You know, hindsight 2020 sort of thing. My Monday morning quarterbacking though is I'm going to go to, to like Brooke Lopez. Okay. Brooke Lopez. Dude's got to get more active. Buck's got to get him more active in this series. Game two. 
when we talked about it, heading into that game, we were like, Brooke Lopez has got to be more active in a game one loss. He only put up, he only scored 10 points, but he only shot the ball like seven times in that game. Game two, way more active Wednesday, 25 points. You know, without Giannis, has to be a guy factored into the offensive game plan. And then game three was kind of similar to, to game one. Brooke Lopez, three of nine, 0 for one from three, just six points. Six points, nine times he shot the ball. So my MMQB is like, why isn't Lopez being more involved? Why aren't the Bucks getting him more involved? He's got to be a guy, especially with no Giannis on the court. With no Giannis on the court, guys got to be. We got got to get uh, Brook Lopez more involved in the offensive game plan. It just has to happen. I mean, just nine shots in Game Three. Look what happened in Game Two. Got to get him more active. Bobby Portis, also quiet in game three. Just nine points. Four of nine. Four of nine from the field. Just nine shots. Between Portis and Brooke Lopez, 18 shots taken. You know, Middleton doing his thing, 23. Drew Holiday, 19. Not a lot of bench production either. Pat Connaughton, 11 points. Jay Crowder, just five points in 13 minutes of action. I know... Our good friend uh, Plain T uh, was at uh, last Thursday when was it Thursday or Wednesday uh, when Plain T hit us up with a text and he was like kind of questioning like you know not seeing the benefits of of Jay Crowder so far and that would that could be another good Monday morning quarterbacking right now. Where's Jay Crowder? You know, for for me, my thought was is like you know you bring in a guy like Jay Crowder for for moments like this for for playoff series for the playoffs bringing in and I wasn't expecting a whole lot from the offensive standpoint, but you know defense giving you another defensive player out there and right now, right now Jimmy Butler is just kind of having his way with this Bucks defense. He's just kind of doing his thing right now. He's able to do a lot of stuff. Game three. We know Jimmy Butler, his game is inside the paint, driving to the hoop, getting to the free throw line, that range. Saw a little bit more of it, uh, or saw a little bit more of his uh, three-point play in game three. I know Drew Holiday kind of talked about that after the game. You know, Butler was a little bit more active, having some success uh, from deep there. But... Do the Bucs have to come in with a with a defensive mindset of making everybody else beat them? You know, you don't have Tyler Hero on here. Victor Oladipo, he's out now with a, and I know he wasn't, you know, big-time rotation guy, that sort of thing, but, you know, another guard that's going to be out of, uh, out of the rotation for the Heat after a scary knee injury. He's done for the season, patellar tendon injury. And I know Duncan Robinson, when he's, you know, we've seen him in college and such, but when he's kind of on fire from three, he's he can get on fire from three. But do the Bucks have to have a defensive mindset of just like, okay, we're going to double up, we're going to shut down Jimmy Butler and make everybody else beat us. 
We're not going to let Butler get to the hole. We're not going to let him drive. We're not going to let him have his mid-range game or get into the paint. Once he gets that ball in his hands, we'll you know, kind of sneak a defender or leak an extra defender over there. Should the Bucks have that kind of defensive mindset? Or does that make you maybe a little bit more nervous? You know, you look at the game, Duncan Robinson, game three, 20 points off the bench. Kyle Lowry, 15 points off the bench. And they switched up their starting lineup a little bit with Kevin Love getting the start. I mean, they've got players we've heard of before, right? You know, we, we've got, we've heard of these guys, you know, but they're they're veterans. They're They're a little, you know, maybe a little bit past their prime, if you will. You know, bam. Went in there, played 30 minutes, but 12, 12 points, 11 boards. So do they go in to game four and, and, and have the mindset of like, okay, we ain't letting Butler take this game over. We ain't letting Butler do what he wants to do. We'll make everybody else try to beat us. Because right now, Jimmy Butler in three games... Averaging 30 points per game, 6 assists, 4.3 rebounds. And it's it's a very small sample size, but, I mean, the dude's shooting 66.7% from three. But overall, from the field, Jimmy Butler is shooting an astounding 60, is, is shooting a pretty solid 60%. 35, 25, 30. I think at this point, you know, if and I know he's he's questionable tonight too. He's listed as questionable. He got uh, a little contusion on his uh, was it uh, his behind there. I feel like though Butler's gonna play. I feel like he's gonna play tonight. So I mean, how effective will he be? Still gotta still gotta count for him, don't you? But this series has gotten to be so, you know, like, it's kind of focused on injuries right now. Game one, you know, Giannis and and Tyler. Now you got Victor Oladipo and, and Jimmy Butler, who's a little bit banged up here too. Wesley Matthews, you know, defensive player. He's out for the game already, still dealing with that cap strain. A guy that, you know, maybe you could count on being one of those defenders, a part of a rotation to try to slow down Jimmy Butler. He's not going to be in the game. So. But we'll see how the uh, Victor Oladipo injury kind of affects this team here too because, you know, he didn't play in game one. I uh, got some action in uh, in game two, a little bit more involved in the rotation, obviously with with no Tyler, and he was effective. Fifteen points, fifteen points in in that game two loss against the Bucks in twenty six minutes of action. Uh, game three played nineteen minutes before going out for injury, and he was he was at eight points. But now you kind of wonder about a little bit with that with that depth there for for the Heat when you have no Tyler Hero. Now you don't have. Victor Oladipo, who's averaging uh, 
you know, just a little bit over 10 minutes per game this year in the regular season. Jimmy Butler a little bit banged up. So from from the Heat side of things, maybe they're a little bit nervous. Maybe Heat's, Heat fans are a little bit nervous because they're like, man, how many more injuries can we go through? Can we are we going to have enough healthy and able bodies to to win this series? Great that we're up two to one, but you know we got guys dropping left and right now. We got some role players who are you know dropping left and right, not going to be on the court for us. Now on the flip side, you're the Bucks, and you're like, we're down 2-1. We're the one seed. We're down 2-1 against the eight seed. And Giannis, our main player, essentially hasn't played this whole series besides, you know, what, 10, 11 minutes in, in game one. And we don't know. He's still listed as questionable. Who do you think should be a little bit more nervous right now? I'm at about, you know, scale of 1 to 10. I'm at about uh, maybe about a five, but if the Bucks lose tonight in a pivotal game four, it it skyrockets to like an eight, eight or nine, probably even a nine. I mean, because now you're just one loss away. You're one loss away. Yeah, the series moves back to Milwaukee, but it skyrockets. This is a must-win game for for the Bucks tonight. It's 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 a must-win. The Bucks lose tonight. I don't know if they can win the series. Can they pull off three wins in a row? They got the talent to do so, but can they pull off three wins? To uh, that'd be a little bit nervous. I think tonight is a must-win to even this series up, get it back to Milwaukee. Get that home court and and just finish them off. You know. Bucks in six. I know you can't win six. You can't do it in six unless you lose your two, and that's what everybody's been kind of running with on the socials and that and and that sort of thing. But you know, again, Miami. Think about last year; they were the one seed in the Eastern Conference. They were the one seed, and I don't. You know, they're a pretty solid eight-seeded team. I know we had this this discussion leading before the playoffs even started. The question was out there like, you know, who would you rather face, you know, the Bulls or the Heat? And I think everybody pretty much said, well, you know, think that uh, I'd pick the Bucks to win either series, but Heat might have made you just a little bit more nervous. And right now you, you're looking at it. I think there is a little bit more little nervousness. Anybody who's saying, you know, you're like, Nah, I'm not nervous at all. I'm at a zero or something like that. We got this. Well, you know what? Kudos to you for all the confidence in the world. But, I mean, I think there's a little bit. you, you got to be at least a little bit nervous about this. A little bit. I don't know if, he, if, if I were a betting person, if I had to make a bet, part of me really thinks Giannis is going to play tonight. I think he's going to play tonight. I think if the situation was, hey, Bucks are up 2-1 in this series or even, heck, 3-0 and at this point, then Giannis isn't playing. He ain't playing. But down 2-1, pivotal game four, 
I think Giannis is going to play tonight. I've got no insight or or you know inside information or anything like that, but that's just me. Uh, Mike Boonholzer, uh, when he was asked about uh, Giannis's availability yesterday, he was asked, "Do you expect to have Giannis on the court for Game Four?" His answer, quote, we'll continue to monitor him. He did some individual work today on the court, and we'll see how he feels from the session today and see how he wakes up tomorrow. Question, what has to, what has to happen from now until tomorrow for him to play? Answer, I think the medical group, myself, John, Giannis, just have to feel like he's in a place where he could play. It's just, it's a little bit of everything. When we make a decision, whether he's in or out, we'll let you know. But we'll just continue to monitor him. Uh, also asked, uh, he was asked, we know how hard it is to keep him from playing in the regular season. How is he dealing with it and handling this process? Mike Boonholz are answering again, the collaboration, the communication, it's got to be the player in the medical group, the player in the coach, the player in the front office, uh, or the GM. And, and he is the constant, he is the key and he always wants to make himself available. He does everything to make himself available. He wants to play, but I think there's also maturity for Giannis and an understanding and growth that we just respect, and he respects us. So again, not a big surprise that Mike Boonholzer is kind of being a little coy, kind of being a little quiet. He's always this is this typical Mike Boonholzer. Didn't really learn a whole lot there, right? Answering questions without really answering the questions. But I, I'm like 63 percent feel like Giannis is going to play tonight. Maybe on a little bit of a minutes restriction. I don't know. But I feel like we're going to see 34 suited up for the Bucks tonight on that court. Even if Giannis does suit it up, though, tonight, the Bucks have to defend the three better. And and, and maybe they just got to hope, too, that the, that the Heat won't make half of their three-pointers. Like, the Heat in these three games have averaged 50% from three. And the Heat were the fourth worst team in a regular season in three-point percentage. So is this something that the Heat can continue to do and make all these threes? I don't know, maybe. I mean, they're getting it done in the first three games here, but there's no doubt the, the Bucks have to defend the three better, uh, and they got to hope that, they, that the Heat are obviously not going to make half their three-pointers in these next games here too. So I do think the Bucks will take game four. I think they win it, and I think this series will be evened up at two apiece. All right, uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll talk some brewers after these quick words. Who doesn't love Hy-Vee? Once you walk in the store, you're in for quite the shopping experience. So grab yourself a coffee and check out everything Hy-Vee has to offer. From their top-of-the-line produce section, A-plus bakery, a deli department that includes so many different cheeses you didn't even know existed, a superb meat department, and even shoes, plus the best wine and spirits department in the area. And once you're done shopping or need to grab a bite to eat, they have many different options in their food court, including the popular Wahlburgers. Experience the Hy-Vee experience yourself today. All the Pirates, maybe you could use that as your motivational Monday story. They're in first place right now after the Brewers dropping two of three against the Boston Red Sox this past weekend. Yesterday, a 12-5 to loss. Brewers had the lead going into the top of the eighth just by a run there, but exploding. The Red Sox exploding. I guess you could say the Brewers exploded too, but the, the Red Sox exploding for nine runs. Nine runs in the top of the eighth to essentially put the game away. 
for for the for the Boston Red Sox. So Red Sox getting their twelfth win of the season yesterday. Brewers falling to a fifteen and seven overall, just a half game now out from first place. If you're already kind of paying attention to the standings, that's with the Pittsburgh Pirates in first place. But uh, the bullpen, uh, as for for the bullpen, we've been talking a lot about you know one of the biggest nice surprises uh, out there in uh, in Major League Baseball, right? Biggest surprises easily for for this Brewers team. Craig Council said, uh, but they've been uh, they've been getting a lot of work and maybe putting a little bit too much on their shoulders. Saying we've relied on six guys for essentially the last week. Uh, it's been close games, just the nature of it. We've got some guys tired. We were trying to stay away from some guys and give them a break, especially this early in the season. And one of those guys who's been getting a lot of work so far for the Brewers is Hobie Milner. He's on pace. He's on pace right now uh, for 88 appearances. And to put it in perspective, that would be a franchise record. The current mark is 83 appearances in a season set by Ken Sanders in 1971 and Alex Claudio in 2019. But to kind of put it in perspective of you know a lot of these these bullpen arms getting a lot of work in right away at the beginning part of the season, Obi Milner on pace for 88 total appearances. Um, that would set a franchise record, not just by a game or 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 a bunch of them too. You're talking about a few games there. Uh, Matt Bush, Matt Bush obviously was the dude who really struggled yesterday. And if you look at it, and Matt Bush was a guy like I, I, I had him as one of my wild card guys, or one of my top five. I think it was top five players that I had my eye on heading into the season because I want to know what his role was going to be. Was it going to be a setup player? Was it going to be you know because the the bullpen was such an unknown outside of Devin Williams. You know, we saw a little bit from from Matt Bush last year, but you know, a lot of the other guys were like, who, huh? Don't know a whole lot about him. So I looked at like Matt Bush as a guy, like, is is he that setup guy? Can he be the setup guy? And when you look at, well, yesterday heading in the eighth, it's like, whew, yikes. But how about this for, for numbers-wise? This is from Adam McCulvey. Matt Bush, uh, in his last 25 and a third innings pitch for the Brewers, this is dating to, to last season, he has given up 10 home runs, surrendered 10 home runs in 25 and a third innings pitch for the Brewers, dating to last season, including four home runs, four home runs in seven and two-third innings this year. As Adam McCulvey uh, writes on here, too, coming into spring training, it looks like that Bush was locked into a setup role ahead of Devin Williams, but Bush's ongoing trouble with a long ball has meant opportunities for others. Craig Council was asked about Matt Bush's role moving forward. Matt's going to have to get outs for us for sure. We're going to have to have an eight-man bullpen. That's what we're going to count on. He's got he got huge outs in Seattle for us and had a bad day today. The thing is with Bush too, he's earning one point eight five million this season and is out of minor league options, and that kind of puts the Brewers in a little bit of a bind right now. So. There you have a bullpen kind of getting a little bit uh a little bit of extra work. We we just jinx it all the time, it feels like. You know, I'm giving some praise, I'm giving some darn love. 
to the bullpen, and then, you know, you got a guy that just, like, <laughs> puts fire on the gasoline, or puts gasoline on the fire, excuse me, yesterday, and just explodes there in the eighth. So, hopefully the Brewers can bounce back, though, and uh, pick up the series win against the Detroit Tigers. The Tigers, who are 7-13, heading into into their series against uh, the Brewers of Milwaukee tonight. We're going to have Colin Ray getting another start for the Brew Crew. Uh, the counterpart to him is Matthew Boyd, left-handed pitcher for the Tigers. So far this year, Matthew Boyd in three games, started three games, has pitched in those three games just a total of 14 innings. He's 0-1 with a 4.50 ERA. His last outing, uh, though, was uh, no decision against uh, the Cleveland Guardians where he went five innings, giving up five hits, three earned runs. The thing is, you know, even though he hasn't, he's only gotten to like five innings or more once, and that was his latest start uh, with with the Guardians. He hasn't given up a ton of runs. So in that Guardians game, five innings, three earned runs, lost against Boston on the on the ninth. He went four and two thirds, two earned runs, no decision against Houston on the third, four and a third, two earned runs. And when you look at kind of the matchups here. Brewers lineup going up against Boyd. He got a little bit of experience here. Yelich, five at-bats, 200. Voigt's actually got uh, the most at-bats, nine, including uh, two home runs and a three thirty-three batting average. Uh, then you got Willie Adamas with seven at-bats and hitting just one forty-three. Flip side, not a ton of experience with uh, with Colin Ray going up against uh, the, the Tigers, which makes complete sense. Obviously, but uh, Miguel Cabrera's got one at bat against him, and Baez has uh, gotten two, and, and Jonathan Scope's got one at bat there too. I mean, so very that that's it, that's it. But uh, we'll see. First pitch slated to start around uh, six forty again. Been told this is this is your schedule for for the games tonight. Brewers will be on one hundred five point one FM and seven ninety AM. And Bucks, you can catch on 95.9 FM, 11.50 AM for tonight, in case you're wondering where you can listen to those particular games. Okay? But we'll see if the Brewers can kind of bounce back. The rest of the uh, the starting rotation here for the uh, for the Brewers. We've got Eric Lauer going tomorrow for the Brew Crew, looking for his fourth win of the season. And... Uh, and Freddie Peralta getting the start in the series finale before the Brewers get an off day where they welcome the Angels to town. Wade Miley picked up his third win on Saturday in that 5-4 to four victory for the Brew Crew. Wade Miley, 3-1 and one so far this year with a 1.96 ERA. On Saturday... Uh, he went uh, five innings, just giving up two earned runs, striking out three, issuing a walk. Did give up that? Uh, did give up that homer? But Wade Miley has been off to a really good start. I know we've talked about him quite a bit here, but again, another start for for Wade Miley, where he looked pretty darn solid. And you look at, I mean, his his Arizona game, obviously. <laughs> If you want to call it that, that's his worst appearance. He went five innings and gave up three earned runs. He did issue three walks in that game, but he followed it up with that win against San Diego, going seven innings, striking out eight, and not issuing a darn walk, 
and then picked up his third win against Boston. I mean, Wayne Miley, what else can we say about the start that he's had so far for, for this team? It's been tremendous. It's been absolutely tremendous. Corbin Burns a little bit struggling, at least in the beginning uh, part of the game yesterday. It took him 48 pitches. That was his pitch count after two innings. And it could have been, yeah, could have been a little bit higher, but struggling with his, with his command there a little bit. He did get through five. On 91 pitches, uh, Burns said, not bad, describing his outing. It was one of those weeks that was really tough. And remember, we didn't know if Burns was going to play, you know, with that uh, rib or pack injury, whatever it ended up being officially. There's a little bit of uncertainty whether he was going to start or miss a start or anything like that. But uh, Burns said it was one of those weeks that was really tough uh, week for me. So just to be able to go out there and perform was kind of something I'm proud of. Even after a tough week like I had, I can still go out there and perform uh and then we should give a little bit of a tip of the cap too to to mr brian anderson a couple of dingers for him yesterday he's up to five home runs so far this season 280 18 rbis uh 897 ops so brian anderson again another one of these new guys it's off to a a really solid start a good start for the brew crew Are you looking to purchase a new vehicle with that tax return this year? Hey, it sounds like you need to make a quick stop to Toys and Ford. From the moment you step into their showroom, you're more than just a customer. You're an honored guest. Toys and Ford's only aim is to serve your needs to the fullest, and the team at Toys and Ford will go the extra mile to provide you with compelling options for new and used vehicle shopping. Purchasing a vehicle? That can be a big decision, and Toys and Ford knows that. So make it easier with the help from Toys and Ford. Hey, you, just jumping in here to see if you're enjoying this episode. Well, if you are, then let us know with a positive review. If not, remember what your mother said. You don't have anything nice to say? Don't say it at all. Okay, back to the show. Uh, Some of my draft crushes here. So, I like the, the tight end Michael Mayer, too. I know he's not the flashiest tight end out there. I know he's not got, like, the Dalton Kincaid hype around him about his athleticism and his, you know, freak of nature stuff. But I like Michael Mayer. And and it'll be curious to see. I think we're all assuming Green Bay is going to draft a tight end, whether it's in the first round or the second round. And it'll be curious to see what type of tight end they want in this draft. Like Michael Mayer is a guy that obviously can do both. He can do, he can help you out in the passing game. He can help you out in the running game. Doesn't have the athleticism of a of a Dalton Kincaid. Maybe doesn't he doesn't stretch the field like a Dalton Kincaid does. And it's not in in you know kind of looking at some of the strengths. Um, and, and Dalton Kincaid can be a little bit of an in, inline blocker. Maybe not as much as as Michael Mayer from from Notre Dame. And I saw some player comps. A big one for Michael Mayer is Jason Witten. That that's been a big one for for Mayer. I've seen a couple of different ones. For, for Dalton Kincaid, I saw one. Remember uh, Des Pita from, from Baltimore from a few years ago? I've seen that one kind of used out there on, on the socials a little bit. More of the receiving threat. But I guess in, in another player comp I've uh, I've just blanked on it for, for Dalton, I, I, I've seen was um, uh, Zach Ertz, I think was it. Yeah, Zach Ertz. But I think what 
is going to be interesting when it comes to to Green Bay is do they want that tight end that can be an effective blocker like a Michael Mayer that you can put in there, put as an extra maybe offensive lineman, quote offensive lineman. Maybe they have Michael Mayer up a little bit higher on their own rankings because he can do that. Maybe Darnell Washington a little bit higher on their rankings because he can do that. Or do they want more of that athleticism, maybe more of a playmaker type, and that's where they could go to Dalton Kincaid. I've seen some people use Kincaid's age as a negative against him too because he's going to be 24 already come October. I don't know. I, you know to me, it's just like, yeah. I get it. I get why some teams use an age, use older age. I mean, 24 for crying out loud. I, I know how some teams kind of use that. As a negative, I understand it, but that's not that big for me, I guess, at this point. But essentially what's going to fall down to here when it comes to a tight end for Green Bay is do they want the more athletic tight end, more athleticism, where maybe you can stretch the field a little bit more? Or do you want that guy that you can involve in the run, in the blocking attack and the running game a little bit more? It's going to be kind of a safety net, but... Maybe doesn't create a whole lot of separation. I think we'll find that out. Maybe kind of find that out by the time the draft comes on Thursday. But Michael Mayer is one of my my draft crushes out there. I like him a lot, and I I look at it in terms to we've got you know Jordan Love as your quarterback. Mayer may not be the. May or may not be like the, the, how do I want to phrase this, the athletic freak that's going to stretch the field down and make some big plays. You know, maybe like Jermichael, if you want to use a, an example of like an athletic tight end to stretch the field down Packers-wise like a Jermichael Finley. May or may not be that. But he'd be a nice little safety valve, a nice, you know, kind of go-to target for a young quarterback just kind of beginning his career there. And, you know, for player comp, Jason Witten, Jason Witten had a pretty darn good career, was a pretty darn good tight end for, for Tony Romo and Dak Prescott in his early years. Caught a lot of balls. Scored a lot of touchdowns. So it'll be interesting to see if Green Bay wants that tight end that fits maybe what they want to do offensively. We know they like to ask their tight ends to block and and, and such. But do they do they go for a tight end that fits what they do on offense, or do they go for a tight end that maybe is a little bit more of a playmaker that can stretch the field down, maybe maybe help out their their younger quarterback, their different quarterback that way, or do they go to the tight end that's maybe a little bit more in between the hashes, kind of that safety? You know what I mean? We'll find out. I, I think we're all confident at some point Green Bay is going to get a tight end, whether it's day one or or day two, they're going to get a tight end. And does the depth at tight end maybe make it so Green Bay doesn't get one at 15 and they'll go in the second round and and feel confident that they can get another tight end there, whether it's a, a Laporta from Iowa or whether it's a, whether it's a you know Luke Musgrave if he's still there. Or maybe a Darnell Washington falls there. Some of my other uh, draft crushes, I've seen him a little bit in the first round kind of creep into the back end of the first round. 
and he could absolutely get there. But I'm going with the the offensive lineman from North Dakota State, Cody Mouch. I don't know if you've anybody has seen this this kid, have seen this guy, but this is like I want this guy on my team. Now, for North Dakota State, he played left tackle. There's some talk that maybe is he a little bit better suited. Maybe initially he plays inside at the NFL level, but he has that versatility to play tackle, to play guard, or even play center. And and the the reason why some people are questioning whether can he play tackle in the NFL is this arm length. We've heard it with Brian Balaga with arm length. We're hearing it with uh, Skronowski, arm length. Can they play tackle? Can they play left tackle in the NFL with those arm lengths? You know, it's like hand size for quarterbacks. When you get to offensive linemen, it's arm length. But Cody here, the versatility, I mean, we know Green Bay loves their offensive linemen. That, uh, that gives you a little versatility. But he's just kind of a baller. And and playing in a heavy run system like they do at North Dakota State. Maybe he's eventually their future left tackle or right tackle or whatever it may be. But the versatility that he brings. I know he has kind of creeped up on the draft boards as of late throughout this whole process. He's kind of creeped up there a little bit more. But I kind of like this kid a lot. If he's still there... 15 would be too high. 15 would be too high. I've seen some in the back end of the first round where he's kind of crept in there, but if he's there and he's the Packers' second-round pick, I'd be okay with that. I'd be okay with that. I love that guy. I I, I love that guy's game. I love that style, and I love the versatility that uh, that he brings to the table. So I don't want to give away too many draft crushes because some of them are kind of in my mock draft that I'll have a little bit later on. But those are, you know, I got them up, those two guys up there. Um, Will Anderson is another draft crush of mine. You know, if you can get a, and this will never happen unless Green Bay like trades up in the top five or top six or seven to try to get him. But, I mean, pairing up Will Anderson with Rashawn Gary for the foreseeable future with Preston Smith there still for a couple years, I mean, that's uh, that's quite the trio of rushers there. Will Anderson, I mean, I'm, I got a draft crush on him. Jalen Carter, I know he's got off-the-field issues there, but, I mean, if I can imagine a Jalen Carter, Devontae Wyatt, and Kenny Clark down Lyman, give me some of that. I'm all about that. Save for... for Skrowski, he's not going to be there. Well, I, I shouldn't say he shouldn't be there. A lot of the mocks and a lot of people had him go in the top 10, but I've been seeing some now where he's dropping out. I love his game too. There are some people questioning whether he could play tackle, but I look at Green Bay right now and I look at it like, hey, they might have an opening at guard or at least a battle. You know, Bakhtiari, Yash. Is Zach Tom going to overtake center, or is he going to play guard? Can he play right tackle, or is he going to be the starter there? There's going to be a little bit of a – I think there's going to be some potential job fighting for, for a guard or maybe both guard spots when camp opens. And Skronowski is one of those guys, and if he's there, I wouldn't be mad if the Packers drafted him. I know there would probably be a lot of people that 
will be a little bit annoyed if they drafted a guard because it's not a sexy pick with the 15th overall. But if Green Bay picked him, you instantly got a starter on that offensive line. You're instantly plugging him in probably on the inside. And now you're looking at a day one, week one offensive line that has Bakhtiari, Elton Jenkins. There's a lot of people thinking Zach Tom's going to take the center spot this year. Skronowski and, and Yash. Did I say two jobs for, for the guard? No, Elton Jenkins got one of them. That's my bad. I misspoke. That's a that's a I'm good with that offensive line if that plays out that way. Looking at some of the, you know, I was looking at Peter King's mock draft earlier this morning and uh, Albert Breer's mock draft. Well, I guess I shouldn't say really mock draft, but he kind of breaks it down in terms of needs and and maybe some of the the rumblings and rumors going out there. But Albert Breer said, what you need to know about the, the Packers pick, in a really good tight end year, this could be where the first one comes off the board. And while Utah's Dalton Kincaid has generated the most buzz, the name I've heard here most is the draft's best two-way tight end, Notre Dame's Michael Mayer. It'd be a little bit of a reach, I think, but would be a good piece to get a young quarterback given how Mayer can contribute immediately in multiple areas with a versatile game, a lot of playing experience, and really solid intangible qualities. Again, that's from Albert Breer, Monday morning quarterback. So those of you, a lot of you who had texted in that uh, he was your your draft crush, probably like hearing what, what Albert Breer had to say about uh, the Packers at that position. And as he acknowledged, a lot of people in their mocks are putting Dalton Kincaid at that spot, including Peter King. Peter King uh, has Dalton Kincaid at uh, at the 15th spot for Green Bay when you're in the middle of the first round and the best position group of the entire draft is tight end and your projected incumbent tight end on the roster is named Josiah DeGuara and you need a tight end to troll the middle of the field for a new quarterback who is a first-year NFL starter and you've got a guy who started 35 college games and scored 35 touchdowns. Well, I think this is a pretty good option for Jordan Love and the Packers. So you got a Dalton Kincaid pick there. But the one thing that both of these uh, these guys mention in their columns is just kind of how, like, up in the air the draft at least is being perceived. Uh, as Albert Breer said, he, he talked to a general manager that said, if you have 15 first-round grades... If you have 15 first-round grades on players this year, then the class sucks. And I got less than 15 this year. So there you go. <laughs> Take that for what it's worth. Peter King, in, in his column, he also talked to a a general manager. And uh, he said, I do this for a living. And my mock draft will be no more accurate than yours. We all think that we know, but we really don't know. Um, He also said, let me tell you about a GM with a pick in the top 10 for the second straight year. said, last year I was 90% sure of our pick before the draft. This year I'm 25% sure. And I think a lot of it starts, I, maybe the Texans are pulling off a great game of, of smokescreen and really putting it out there that it's uncertain what they're going to do at number two. Maybe they know 
Maybe they already got it figured out. It's going to be C.J. Stroud. They've got, they already know. But they're playing this great game out there and maybe saying, you know what? If that right deal is out there, we'd be open to trading too. So if we float it out there that, hey, we're not necessarily going to draft a quarterback, but a quarterback needy team like the Colts or somebody else who thought they wouldn't have a shot at a guy like a C.J. Stroud, all of a sudden be like, hey, we have a shot to move up and get him. We love this kid. We want this kid. We want this kid on our team. Texans, maybe if they're one of those teams that don't have a big difference between C.J. Stroud and and Will or, or Richardson, maybe they would be open for business a little bit. Or maybe it's legit that they ain't sold on getting that quarterback with that second overall pick. But I can say on Thursday, if the if the Texans don't draft a quarterback at, at second overall, oh, it's going to be, I think it's going to be crazy, and it's going to be nuts. And it's going to be a lot of fun to kind of watch the, the trickle-down effect there. Because, I mean, then you got the Cardinals. They're not drafting a quarterback. Colts would be next up. And they're probably just going to be kind of holding on, like hoping no team jumps up and trades with the Cardinals to to get a quarterback if the Colts are dead set on a quarterback, which I think we all think they are. But who would be that team that jumps up and, and gets one? Well, if you look at, uh, was it Peter King's mock draft? Yeah, Peter King's mock draft. He actually has the uh, Tennessee, Ti- or Tennessee Titans moving up and trading with Arizona for that third overall pick and getting C.J. Stroud. Which... Kind of makes sense, given I know there's like there was some of the stuff about C.J. Stroud. Well, look at the university he comes from. Name the last Ohio State quarterback that has performed really well. Maybe the jury's still out with Justin Fields, but Mike Vrabel, yeah, he's got Ohio State connections. But what do you think is the biggest? What do you think will be the biggest draft storyline? Is it the quarter outside of the quarterbacks? I think we would all agree. You know, how the quarterbacks are going to play. We're all assuming Bryce Young's the guy at number one now. And it wasn't, it was about a month ago that CJ Stroud was actually the odds on favorite to, to be the number one pick. Once the Carolina Panthers made that trade, the odds changed because we'll look at Frank Reich's pedigree and with quarterbacks and that fits CJ Stroud's a little bit more. And for anybody wondering, well, why is it, why is CJ Stroud kind of like falling down a little bit on these drafts? You got the, you know, the new testing that's come out that kind of like tests how well somebody can handle a situation, you know, like immediately. And, and Bryce Young like tested extremely well and C.J. Stroud tested pretty low. You got that in there. And then, of course, the whole, whole Ohio State pedigree quarterback thing that's being floored out there a little bit too. I think it's going to be a fun on Thursday night, though. I can't wait to get it all played out, see how it all plays out. So. All right, that's going to do it for us on this episode of the Man Cave Podcast. Again, brought to you by our good friends from Hy-Vee and Toys and Ford. And as always, a quick reminder, if you are not following or subscribing to the Man Cave Podcast and your favorite podcasting platforms, go ahead and do me a favor and do so. That way you never miss another episode of the podcast. All right, and don't forget to give us a positive review and a positive rating so others can find the podcast. You can also leave a voice uh, message. we got that link in the podcast description. Uh, on your favorite podcasting platforms. Hit me up on Twitter at D-A-N-K-A-S-P-E-R. 
facebook.com slash Casper Sports. Always up for a little Q&A action on there, too. So until next time, thanks for, for listening to this episode of the podcast. It is draft week, so we will have more NFL draft talk as uh, we head up into day one coming up on Thursday. Can't wait. And I uh, can't wait to talk to you on another episode of the Man Cave Podcast.